Welcome to Booz Allen Hamilton's Unstoppable Together podcast, a series of stories that unite us and empower each of us to change the world. I'm Jenny Brooks with Booz Allen Hamilton, and I'm passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Please join me in conversation with a diverse group of thought leaders to explore what makes them and all of us unstoppable. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unstoppable Together podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Brooks, and today I'm honored to be joined by Nancy Laban, Executive Vice President and Chief Legal Officer at Booz Allen. Nancy is also on the board of the Booz Allen Foundation. Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jenny. Great to be here. We're so honored to speak with you. Thank you for taking the time. Nancy, within Booz Allen, you're a well-known advocate for our Jewish employees. You make sure that we are aware of and recognize Jewish holidays. You provide support as we've seen an increase in the number of anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic incidents in the United States. And we're here today, unfortunately, because not only in the last few months, but also in the past few years, there's been a distinct rise in these attacks. Most recently in the United States, in Texas, we witnessed the hostage situation at that Congregation Beth Israel Reform Jewish Synagogue. And I guess my first question for you is simply, how are you doing? How are you processing these events taking place across our country? Jenny, thank you very much for asking. And I, and I really mean that. Several people reached out to me after the Colleyville incident to check in, and I could not have been more appreciative. And in fact, I've tried to take a lesson from that and reach out to others when there are other tragic or concerning incidents. It really makes a difference to have somebody ask you about that. And honestly, it's been hard to process these incidents. Obviously, the physical attacks that put people in harm's way are horrific, and you fear for the individual's health and safety. And then you wonder, you know, could this happen to me or to my family or to my friends? And that kind of worry is relatively new for an American Jew, given the uptick in physical attacks. When I was very young, living in Massachusetts, we had a swastika burned on our lawn and gasoline. And I did not completely understand at the time what would drive someone to do that. But over the years, I became less afraid as the incidents of that type of thing lessened. And unfortunately, now that visceral fear has really returned due to uptick in incidents. And it's also been very strange, honestly, to see the increase in trolling of Jews in social media and the attacks on our otherness. Uh, and frankly, just a lack of understanding. I mean, you might recall the incident with Whoopi Goldberg, when she said that the Holocaust uh, wasn't about race. Uh, now, she's since apologized and she's educated herself. And for that, I'm, I'm very grateful. But her initial comment really illustrated the lack of understanding or confusion that many people have about anti-Semitism. They don't know how to define Jews. So they try to find some way that's familiar. Are Jews a race? Is it a religion? Is it a culture? But anti-Semitism is one of the oldest types of discriminatory behavior. It started so long ago, and it predates generally recognized categories. And as Yair Rosenberg points out, he's a, a well-known journalist. He writes for The Atlantic, a very good column. Uh, he is the number two most attacked Jew on social media. But as he points out, it's not really a religious thing because you can be Jewish without being observant. It's not quite a race because people can convert in. 
And it's not a culture because that removes the religious aspect. And it's also not a nationality because although there is a homeland in Israel, not everyone identifies with being there or thinks of it as their homeland. And in fact, it was only relatively recently that Jews from Eastern Europe were even considered white. And it's also been within the last four years that the alt-right has been pushing back on that and and really trying to uptick the the amount of anti-Semitism. Wow. So you describe a swastika being burned on your lawn early on, early childhood, although relatively feeling safe throughout your childhood? Is there conversation in your family around discrimination as you were growing up or or no, is it relatively now recently with these resurgence of these events and attacks that this has become more of an acute issue in your family, in your network, in your community? At the time, I was eight, seven. I mean, I wasn't really old enough to understand what it meant and why my parents were so upset and so mm-hmm. concerned. And it's only now looking back that I can see my parents' involvement in our synagogue. They were one of the founding members of it, how they viewed it as adults being personally attacked. I just honestly, I didn't understand it enough. I mean, I went to Hebrew school and I learned Hebrew and I was brought up in the religion. And so I knew it wasn't good, but I didn't have that connectivity, which is very different actually from my husband, who's first generation American. His father left Austria three days after Kristallnacht, three days after the destruction, uh, the rampant destruction there. But and as I grew up and I grew up overseas a lot, there was a lot more security. Israel uh, had come into being and we saw less anti-Semitism overtly. But within the last five years or so, there's much more conversation in the community about the, the increase and the risk the personal risk and the mental health risk. I mean, seeing the folks in Charlottesville marching with tiki torches saying, Jews will not replace us. And then having that same phrase repeated on cable news and what the intent is, that's scary. That really does scare one. Yeah, these statistics are beyond frightening. Jews comprise less than 3% of the American population, but the majority of reported religious-based hate crimes target Jewish people. According to the FBI's annual data on hate crimes, crimes targeting the Jewish community consistently constitute over half of all religion-based crimes. There were over 600 hate crimes against Jews reported in 2020, And also in 2020, the Anti-Defamation League tabulated over 2,000 reported anti-Semitic incidents throughout our country. That's the third highest year since they started tracking these incidents um, beginning in the late 1970s. So many of these incidents are targeting our Jewish institutions. How has that influenced the way you practice your faith? How have you come to view what should be a place of refuge and solace, but which is, you know, now sort of seen potentially as a place that requires increased security and you know these the media showing the security trainings for staff and people going to your place of worship. Yeah. So on the one hand it's made me more defiant, which probably fits with my personality, right? And if you work with me or if you see me regularly, you'll notice that I almost always 
wear a necklace that looks like a gold square. Most people don't recognize it because it just looks like a gold square, but it's a chai. It's the Hebrew letter that means life. Um, and in the past, I was afraid to wear anything that could identify me as Jewish. And now not only do I wear it, but I wear it when I travel internationally, which is a big step for me because if you recall the stories of the hijacking, they used things like that to identify Jews and to identify people that they wanted to, uh, to target. And, you know, I shared this story once with a, a Catholic friend who always wears a cross. It's a beautiful cross. And she couldn't believe that I actually put so much thought into, do I wear a necklace or do I not wear a necklace? And, and on that front, it's a bit exhausting to have to think about how you portray yourself and what your physical yes. appearance is. And with respect to going to services, you know, my friends and I refer to all the security in our places of worship as the Jewish tax. You know, on Saturday mornings when I go to services, I encounter a huge variety, vast amount of different security measures, depending on which, where I am and, and which synagogue I'm going to. You know, first, before I leave the house, I have to remember to grab some form of ID with me in case I'll be asked for it to enter the synagogue. I need to think about how I'm going to get to the synagogue because some places no longer have parking due to security restrictions. I walk past the police car that sits in the front. And then when I get to the door, I line up to go through security, much like the security you'd find at a concert. And it would either be with on-duty or off-duty police, again, depending on, on the location. And it's only then that I'm on the premises and can start to get into a contemplative mode which was the whole purpose of me going to the beginning. And as I said, this is very expensive. Wow. Yes, yeah, certainly. You know, on this podcast, we talk about both difficult things and we also try and feature moments of joy so that we can show it's not either or, but it's a conversation around both and. Can you share with us a special memory you hold about your faith? So I really appreciate that it, you do both sides of it because that is hugely important. My faith is extremely important to both me and to my family, and it always has been. I was the first girl to be bat mitzvahed in Japan. And at that time, I was not allowed to read from the Torah or Bible uh, because girls were just not allowed to do that at the synagogue. I now don't belong to a synagogue that wouldn't allow that. But later on, when my daughter and son were bar and bat mitzvahed, I was so proud to stand next to them as they both read the guidance and wisdom that's been handed down for more than 5,000 years in our religion. Also, not only is I, am I proud of those traditions, but as I mentioned, my husband's the child of a Holocaust survivor. I am proud that we as a people have been able to survive the insanity of an attempted genocide. You know, before World War II, there were about 16 million Jews in the world, and now there are only 15.2 million or so. We're almost just back to where we were pre-World War II levels. And because of that, or in addition to that, it's, it's horrific to me to see what's going on in the Ukraine, which is where my family's from. My family's from Kyiv. And to see the Russians say or claim that they're denazifying a country that's led by a Jewish president where the prime minister is Jewish and where the mayor of Kiev is Jewish, 
just it's, it's incredible. And it really does reinstitute my defiance, if you will. Um, and the other thing I would just say, again, in keeping with the, the positive, you know, this summer, my daughter will be married in Italy to an Italian man. And I'm having a, an amazing blast um, combining our Eastern European Jewish traditions with the Jewish traditions of, from Rome. And the two, are they vary widely. And I'm learning a whole lot about things that I did not know. And I love with all the history that Jews have that we continue to grow and evolve and come together as a community. Well, we stand with you and we certainly stand with the people of Ukraine. I pray for them and their safety every single night. My Catholic prayers and my rosary breeds are joining you and standing with the people. All prayers, Ukraine. all prayers. All I think prayers. they deserve. Absolutely. What can companies do to show their zero tolerance for anti-Semitism? How does a faith such as Judaism or Catholicism fit into a company's DEI work? I think it fits right in there, right in the middle. And the first thing that you have to do, whether it's with regard to Judaism or any other aspects of DEI, is, is education. You have to educate people about what anti-Semitism is and the impact of it. You need to speak up unequivocally in support of Jewish employees and against anti-Semitism. And you can substitute in any word you want for anti-Semitism in that, right? It's about the education. And it was shocking to me, for example, recently when Tennessee decided to ban the book Mouse. Mouse is a comic book portrayal of the Holocaust. And I understand they were concerned about how their children would view what was pretty gory scenes, like there were one or two, I get that, but they didn't replace it with anything educational. And if you don't teach the Holocaust, if you don't teach about anti-Semitism, we are doomed to repeat it. The other thing I would want Booz Allen to do, and I think they do a pretty decent job, always can do better, but I think they do well, is um, take it seriously. I've heard from others that, oh, it's not really discrimination or racism. Or I've also heard, oh, you're white. And I am white and I do have white privilege, but I am also impacted by anti-Semitism. It's real. And we need to make sure we don't ignore it. I was recently speaking with someone who told me a story that they were asked to attend a team-wide meeting uh, that was scheduled for Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. And when that individual spoke up to her manager and said, you know, look, this is problematic. I can't attend. They were essentially told, well, that's unfortunate, but I can't change the date. And in my mind, would you ever hold a meeting on Christmas? No, you never would. And right. um, I don't ascribe bad intent, malintent to the manager. It's just a lack of understanding. And then the, the other thing I would highlight is having a resource group or a network. And so that's what I hope this podcast kicks off. I'm going to be working with People Services to set something up for anyone who would like to participate, Jewish or not Jewish. And so please, please reach out to me if you hear this and you would like to be involved and share that and get others involved as well. I think the opportunity to get together and educate and talk about and support each other and share is, is something I really want to do. Nancy, you're such a role model and inspiration to so many of us. And we appreciate your spirit of defiance. 
a little or a lot of defiance in the right moments is a good thing. So we thank you for your leadership. And at the end of every podcast, we give our guests some free space to share their final thoughts with those listening. What would you like to leave our audience with today? Well, first off, thank you very much for having me. This is an amazing opportunity and I love talking to you. So, and I've listened to all of your podcasts. They're incredible. So thank you for that. I think what I would leave folks with is a request for kindness and grace, not only in the context of anti-Semitism or discrimination or DE&I. We've all been through a lot in the last Gosh, it feels like 50 years. I can't believe it's just been two. And I think everyone's tired. Everyone's trying to rethink their life. And a little kindness goes a long way. A little common reach out, as I mentioned at the beginning, ask how people are doing. And a little grace when they're just not hitting the bar. Because it's not for lack of desire. It's probably from lack of sleep. And I think we'll get there. So kindness and grace. You never know what someone's working through. Kindness and grace will get us through. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for listening. Visit careers.boozallen.com to learn how you can be unstoppable with Booz Allen. Be the future. Work with us. The world can't wait.